Yeah, that's that's the best way. Hmm. Maybe. Give it to your lawyer. Give it to your lawyer. I'll have my people talk to Nico's people. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are Attempting Parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 58. Before we get into it today, I'm going to derail us really early. Um, we were talking chat GPT in the last episode, and I made a chat GPT account, and I've been messing around with it. And I asked chat GPT, do you know about the podcast J-Pops Attempting Parenting in Japan? Hmm. And this was the response. Okay. As an AI language model, I do have some knowledge about the podcast J-Pops Attempting Parenting in Japan. It is a podcast that features interviews with parents who are raising children in Japan. The podcast is hosted by two American expats who are also parents, and they discuss various topics related to parenting in Japan, including education, culture, language, and more. The podcast aims to provide insight and information for parents who are raising children in Japan, as well as for those who are interested in learning more about parenting and family life in Japan. Crazy. Pretty accurate, ChatGPT. Man, we didn't even write that good of a description. I know, especially <laughs> for an audio medium. I don't know if ChatGPT is like decoding audio and learning from that too, but that was pretty good. Wow. Um, and we're not famous, obviously, so it dug deep and figured all this out. I would say that the only thing that didn't make a lot of sense, it says features interviews with parents who are raising children in Japan. That's true, but... I would like to do more of that. It's always on my list of things, but then the actual work of going through it, <laughs> I'm yeah. always like, uh... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, then, ChatGPT famously, if you push it, that's when it gets into trouble. So I asked it a couple of follow-up questions. The first one was, what are the host's names? Oh, God. And ChatGPT says, the hosts of the J-Pops Attempting Parenting in Japan podcast are named Jay and Jared. Jay and Jared. Which one are you? Jay and Jared. I don't know. I hope I'm Jay at least. They are both American expats living in Japan, and they are also both parents who are raising children in Japan. Jay and Jared use their podcasts to share their experiences and insights about parenting in Japan and to interview other parents who are raising children in the country. Their podcast is a great resource for anyone who is interested in learning more about parenting and family life in Japan. Wow. So then I asked ChatGPT, are you sure those are the host names? <laughs> and ChatGPT replied, I apologize for the mistake in my previous response. After conducting further research, it appears that the hosts of the J-Pops Attempting Parenting in Japan podcast are named George and Keiko. <laughs> George. George is a British expat and Keiko is a Japanese native. What? Now we're not even American anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're not American. Uh, they're both parents who are raising children in Japan, and they share their experiences and insights on parenting in Japan through their podcast. I apologize for any confusion my previous response may have caused. Wow. So I think that's a little window into chat GPT. It can be really solid sometimes, and it can just totally fabricate stuff other times. That's crazy. I wonder if there's a podcast out there with George and Keiko. There must be a George and or a Keiko, a Jay and a Jared. I don't know, but we're kind of kind of plugged into the Japanese English language podcast scene, and I don't know any of those names. No, I don't either. Maybe the boys at Ishikawa Summit to see will recognize them and get back to us. Maybe. Well, George, what's your update for the day? Thank you, Keiko. Uh, updates. Well, I should say first, today we're going to talk about parental favoritism. It's coming mm. a bit later, but as far as updates... I think we basically have the same update this week, and that's that there was a massive earthquake in this area of Japan mm. uh, less than a week ago, was mm. it? No, more than a week ago, a little over a week ago. Yeah, it was a week ago Thursday. Or Friday. Was it Friday? I think that your story is more harrowing in terms of all the crazy stuff that was going on uh, in your life at the time. So Was it? I feel like yours is more harrowing. Mine was more, I was on the epicenter, baby. I was right there. Yeah. I mean, I was like directly over the epicenter. So I was, I was up there, but I think you had more craziness going on in terms of sickness plus earthquake oh, yeah. plus everything. Yeah. We, uh, you know, the earthquake, the epicenter was way up at the tip top of Ishikawa 
the Noto region. Hmm. And that's where my wife's grandmother happens to live. So we were going up there because it was golden week and it was uh, five of us in the car, my wife and me, Nico, and then my wife's two parents. So we loaded up the freed and we were like about 10 minutes away. This is way up a mountain, way at the top of Noto. And uh, we were about say 10 minutes away from the grandmother's house on an old mountain road. And then it hit and it was a 6.5 up there mm. at the epicenter. And so the feeling in the car is that the car is being kind of like tossed around the road a little bit. Mm. Um, but you, your mind doesn't go to earthquake, you know? So I thought uh, it must be an enormous gust of wind that's just hit us from the side and like 90 mile an hour wind or something is like knocked our car around. But I was, there were a lot of trees around and the trees weren't leaning over sideways. So I thought that can't be it. Then I thought maybe one of the tires has come loose or we've got a flat or a blowout or something, but that's usually more of a shutter on the car and uh, your car doesn't like bounce around. So I, I kind of dismissed that. My wife thought that I was like jerking the wheel back and forth just as a joke (laughs) or something. But, um, wasn't that. And then all four of our cell phones went off simultaneously with the earthquake alarm. Oh. And I guess maybe that we were right on the epicenter. The alarm is a bit delayed, right. you know, like if you're away from the epicenter, maybe you get a little more notice. Uh, so then we thought, oh, okay, earthquake. And it was no big deal. Uh, the only worries were there were some rock slides that happened down the side of the mountain but they never covered up more than half the road and they were kind of smallish. Mm. So I was more worried about getting a flat tire, like driving over some jagged rocks and I got around those. And then we came up to like an old rickety bridge up in the mountain pass there. And I thought, well, we're the first ones to test out this old crappy bridge. Let's go for it. But it was fine. Everything (laughs) looked fine. And we, we drove across and that was okay. We got to the grandmother's house and a picture had fallen off the wall and then like the glass had shattered and then chunks of plaster had come off the wall that we had to sweep up. And some of her like wooden paneling had shaken Mm. off the walls and uh, we had to re-nail some paneling up. But uh, it was just some sort of minor home repair. That's good. Her house is so old. It's so ancient that it's like before the standards went down after World War II because this house Mm. was built, I think, in the 30s. Is it like a true Cominca? Uh, I don't know what that is. but It would be like a single floor, but it looks like a double-story house from the outside. Oh, it's one of those that um, it's got a thatched roof that's massive. So it's like the size of a four-story building. Right. But... um, it's uh, it is two stories. They they snuck a few bedrooms up on a second story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sometimes they are. Roof goes way way up in a huge like kind of you know very steep slope, and it's not the thatch isn't exposed. It's covered with some kind of roofing material, but underneath it's it's thatched. So when they cover that up, they still leave the like the straw material. Yeah, it's straw up there. Oh, crazy. It's straw, but then they've. Yeah, they've just laid some um, some sort of metal roofing yeah, material it's usually on the just top. Like a tin. Yeah, snow comes right off of there. Oh yeah, snow slides right off that thing. That house, I don't think you could tear that house down if you wanted to. I was telling a friend, like I don't think a terrorist cell could take that house down. <laughs> I mean, it's just so solid. The beams are enormous, and it's all like very old world yeah. building structure, and uh, it's. It's just as solid as can be. So we weren't really worried. But we had the 6.5. We cleaned up from it. And then that night at about 10 o'clock, we had like a five-plus aftershock. Yeah. And then a a couple hours after that, we had like a four-plus aftershock. And then there were loads and loads of trimmers in between. I would say there were, I don't know, a dozen, maybe up to 20 little trimmers like as the night went on. Oh, really? That you guys could feel up there? Oh, yeah, for sure. So it was a little bit unnerving because you never, that's the danger with the earthquake or the fear is you feel the earthquake and you don't know, is this the start of something very, very horrible or is this just a tiny, tiny little aftershock? Yeah. So every time it comes around, you have to be somewhat on edge. You said you guys are up a mountain then. Does that mean there's fear of like landslides where she is? Uh, I hadn't thought about that. I suppose that there always could be a landslide on a mountain. That didn't cross my mind at all, actually. So I don't know. Dude, from looking at it, do you think like the house could just 
go down or mm, she isn't really perched on oh, okay. like a a real intense slope. That's good. Uh, she's right up the top of the mountain, though. I mean, it's way, way up there. But where she is, it's a bit flat. So hmm. I don't know. A pr- I guess a pretty huge chunk of the mountain would have to come loose. Yeah. For that landslide to affect her home. The only thing in the probably the worst of it was the the five plus earthquake at about 10 p.m. Because our son was asleep in the futon and then it starts to shake. You know, a five is pretty significant. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I were either we woke up or we were already awake. I don't know. But we kind of I sort of like crouched a bit. I was laying down, I guess. And I got up on my elbows to make a little tent over Nico. Mm. Cause we, we didn't think that the house was going to come down, but the danger is always like a chunk of the ceiling falls off right. or little stuff, you know, piece of the wall comes down. Yeah. And it could still do a lot of damage, but you know, if it weighs 20 pounds and it hits you in the head, that's not good. So, um, we got under like a heavy futon blanket and then sort of mm. made like a, a structure of our human bodies mm. <laughs> over Nico where he slept through all of it. Nice. No problem for him at all. So he was a-okay. And then we just kind of, I don't know what good it would have done, but hopefully, you know, the futon would have kept any debris from making direct contact with us. And maybe I could withstand something light falling on me (laughs) and uh, then have it not hit Nico directly. But nothing like that happened. That was just the kind of concern we had to deal with. Mm, That's good. Yeah, then we came back the next day. No big problem, really. Just a bit of cleanup. Um, And how about you guys? I was I was installing an eave over the front entry of my house. So I was extending the roof. And so I had backed my truck up to the front door and I had built a little platform above the bed that I was standing on. And it's interesting that you said like you didn't get your phone notification till after the earthquake cuz I think I had a good like 20 30 seconds between phone and earthquake. Because I was I was on the platform nail gunning roof tiles in, and then my phone starts going crazy, which freaked me out. So I jumped down, and then I looked at my phone and said earthquake, and then I ran inside. I had time to like get off my truck, run in the house, go check on Moe and Coda, and then make sure we get stand under a beam or something. That's the perfect like execution of that warning service, actually, yeah. because. I'm sure you heard that one person died yeah. in the earthquake and that person was standing on a ladder at the time. Right. Somebody was up a ladder doing something on the house and then earthquake happens and you fall off it. Yeah. There's nothing you, you can do, especially where we were getting the notification after the earthquake had already hit. Yeah. So you, you know, you were up in a similarly precarious situation with your nail gun and yeah. holding lumber aloft and so on. So that's, that worked out exactly as intended. I think I would have been fine though, because I mean, technically I was connected to my car. Mm-hmm. So it would have probably been more like what you felt like a strong wind rocking me. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I don't think I would have had anything bad happen. And the way I had the platform set up, I just used a bunch of um, four by fours across each other. So I had a nice stable surface that I was standing on. It's crazy to me to see a lot of these people like workers in this country who use a ladder mm-hmm. with just the most careless, without even a, a thought to safety. They'll just throw uh-huh. a ladder up wherever it is. And it's it's usually like on the side of a house that's super steep. And they just like rock up this thing. No like ropes tying the ladder off or anything. And it certainly, uh, it played out there in Noto. That's the one yeah. fatality that they had. It's unfortunate. Uh, so at the time of the earthquake, you were dealing with a lot of sickness in the house, right? Yeah. Right now, actually, we're... Well, I think Coda's better now, mostly, but we're all pretty much dealing with something. I'm sure you can hear my voice is a little different right now, and mm-hmm. I'm muting a lot as I cough all the time, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's pretty terrible. Moe's got like a coughing spasm. Every like couple minutes, she'll just go into these coughing fits at the moment, mm-hmm. and we've been to the doctor a few times now. Yeah, it's been kind of a terrible week for us. Coda's actually been sick for like three weeks now, I think, because Mm -hmm. of daycare. Mm -hmm. And initially, we had taken him to the doctor. And it was like, okay, here's 
you know, like some medicine. He's fine. It's just a cold, whatever. So we give him that. Nothing happens. He gets a little better. And then end of the week, he starts getting worse again. So we go back to the doctor and we're like, hey, what's going on? He's still sick. And they're like, all right, here's some more medication. And the second time we went back, I took him by myself. Mm -hmm. So I was using Google Translate and some notes that Moe had given me. And so it was like, Moe had said specifically in her notes, like, give us two weeks worth of medicine. Mm -hmm. And this was a week before Golden Week, thinking that we'd need enough to cover. But the doctor was like, no, 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 here's a week. If you need more, come back. Well, he ended up feeling a little bit better towards the end of the week. But then after the medicine ran out, obviously, he started feeling bad again. And then it was Golden Week. So we had a super sick kid. So I think we saw you guys on like the Wednesday right yeah and we all had a picnic during golden week and that was nice everybody was feeling fine and then by the friday earthquake day coda had like a a 40 plus fever again and finding a doctor during golden week sucks there's Uh, like i imagine nobody available so we ended up having to go to the emergency room at our local hospital But it's not like an emergency room like you would think of in America. Like you don't just walk in and then there's there's like rooms and services. It's like a little side building off the hospital that like two or three nurses is in. And then like only one parent can go in with the child at a time. So Moy was in there with him and he's just screaming his head off. And then they only have limited medication. So they can't give you anything to cover like the whole weekend. So then you have to Mm -hmm. schedule something to go back to another clinic the next day to try to get more medication. Mm. Man, it's a pain in the ass. After the medication ran out, I think it was like a Monday, I went back to the doctor again with him asking for more medication, which they gave me, but it didn't seem to be doing anything because he still had like high fever all the time and like green runny snot coming out of his nose, to which point I started to think like, well, maybe he's got like some kind of infection because if it's just a cold, the snot will be clear. It won't be like yellowy greenish colors. Mm. So then we went to the doctor on Wednesday again. This time Moe was with us. And by this point as well, she had started to have all the symptoms as well. Like she was having a fever and she was had like a really bad cough and was doing terrible so we decided to get them both checked out and it turns out he had a uh, like an inner ear infection mm. which it's such a simple thing but the fact that we saw three doctors before this and not a single one of them would even thought to even check on something like this is just so irritating in the past i think all my experiences with doctors have been about the same they're personless kind of prescription writers, in my opinion. Like they don't, they don't really do much of doctoring here. Uh, with Coda this past few weeks, it's really kind of made me distrust a lot of doctors and their opinions here. Mm. Yeah. From now on, my approach with doctors in Japan is going to be figure out what's wrong with me ahead of time, figure out what I need, go to the doctor and tell them what I need. And then if they want to do tests, I'll be like, sure, do your tests. But this is what I think it is. And most of the time, that's what happens. Yeah, I've had um, very, very few experiences with, with doctors here. But um, a couple of times, once I, I just had a cold, and I went to the doctor and I remember he was giving me some prescription and he was like, so um, how often do you want to take this? What do you want to do it like for a, yeah. you know once a day for a while, twice a day for a while? And I was like, wh- wh- what? <laughs> yeah. Why are you asking me about the dosage? And then he was like, ah, forget it. And then he just wrote something down and gave it to me. And I was like, what What just happened? I don't know. And then it left me with all these question marks of like, should I have said something? Or why was he asking me what like schedule I wanted to be on for taking the medicine? But uh, well, there was one where I had a ki- slight medical emergency and I went to the hospital like after hours and there was a doctor there and Ayumi was there. So she was translating everything. Mm. But uh, come to find out the doctor could speak English really well. But he said that he was just too, uh, like, shy about it, I think. What a dick. And so, yeah, he was going through my wife. But, like, he's the one with the repository of high-level vocab for medical stuff. Yeah. So, 
you know how hard medical vocab is. You never use it, and then sometimes you've never even heard it in your native language. Yeah. Uh, but that doctor's read untold, you know, English um, scholarly articles about this and that, you know, as part of his studies. So uh, he's the expert in it, but then he sort of let his awkwardness around, oh, I'm shy, I don't want to speak English. And that shut him down on the English front and really cut off this avenue of, like, understanding what's wrong with me. And uh, we got out of there, and it was all fine. Everything worked out. But uh, it could have been better if he just would have grabbed the bull by the horns and thought, okay, I'm going to try to explain it to this guy. When you were at the doctor, did they spend much time actually, like, looking at you and engaging with you? Or was it a lot of, like... You talking to them, them typing stuff and staring at a screen. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. It's been a while back. I can't remember. But I guess they weren't, they didn't have much bedside manner in the case with uh, you and Coda and Moe. Yeah. I feel like every time we go, they're just staring at their screens. You're talking at them, basically. And then they're typing stuff in. They're basically like a stenographer. Yeah, that's basically their job, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> and then they can write prescriptions. I mean, it's cheap as shit, so I can't complain too much. And they always give me... It doesn't matter what medication I feel like I ask for, they always give it to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's nice. They're terrified. I, this enormous American came in like a bull in a china shop. Uh, in America, I went to the doctor once or twice. Um, we got covid I don't think I went at that time, but I also got a pretty bad cold when I was in America just mm. this last time a few months ago. And I had a presentation to do within a couple of days of catching that cold. So I remember I went to the doctor and I just said, here's how I feel. I just need to be able to speak in front of a room full of people in 48 hours. So whatever you think we should do to get there, like that's <laughs> what I'm on board for. And then the doctor really game planned it out for me, like with that as my goal in mind, you know? Nice. And I felt like we had a good interaction. And then that mm. also uh, influenced like the method of treatment and stuff. And I was really satisfied with that in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very small sample size. but I. And then there's also just the added lost in translation aspect of all this that um, the doctor, from their perspective, they're probably like, I can't talk to this guy <laughs> right and then that puts them on the back foot a little bit right and uh you might have a slightly colder or more awkward experience just because the the doctor is off of his sure footing you know with that he That's usually true. has with other patients yeah i don't know the experience from moe when she goes by herself or whatnot so this could just be like awkwardness but it happens every time with multiple doctors mm-hmm. which kind of leads me to think it's not just that could be. I don't know. Um, for balance, we should say that uh, Japan has like the longest life expectancy in the world, probably down to a lot of diet, but um, hospitals are doing their part uh, in that equation somehow. So things must be good. It's certainly first world medical care. But yeah, I think it's the social interaction aspect of it that's probably not great. Yeah. I mean, beyond that, though, it's I think it's the interest in getting to the root of the illness that mm. I also have an issue with. I mean, their their social interaction sucks, but also their, I want to call it like, maybe like inquis- inquisitiveness or concern isn't there either. Mm. At least from all the experiences I've had, I go to the, the doctor quite a bit actually. But yeah, they're never, they're never like, oh, well, let's try to figure out what that is. They're always like, well, what do you want to take? I would have to imagine uh, kind of my fallback position and when i think about this is in japan there's such a cultural emphasis on doing things properly right and i feel that when you show up and you're a foreigner then uh you're really sabotaging the ability for anyone to do something properly like uh you know there's the expectation of customer service there's the expectation of like using the polite language and all that stuff and then you show up and it's all destroyed. And it's one of the most crucial things in the society. <laughs> and it, it just falls apart just because you're not from here. And then sure. uh, I think that that is probably shadowing like every single interaction that we have. I've often thought this at the college where I work. Um, if I worked at a college where everyone spoke English and that was the native language, 
I feel like you develop a lot of great lifelong relationships with students、mm. and other teachers, and、uh, it would be like a nice community. But here, for me, not speaking very well, I think that of the, I don't know, probably a couple of thousands, a couple thousand students that I've seen at this point, I've had maybe like two good relationships、wow. with students. You know, <laughs> and、uh, it's just that, like, it's just too awkward when you can't、mm. communicate fluently. Then you sort of steer yourself out of those interactions. I think, especially as the student, it's like、oh, I'm not going to go to his office hours because it's just too awkward. I can't deal with it.、Right. And then you're sabotaging all of that kind of interaction that you might have and that might be nice. So I feel like that probably it's when you go to the supermarket, when you're at work, or when you go to the doctor's office. There's just this enormous wedge that's driven in, and、um, that's that's probably the lack of. Community that you're going to feel across the board, and the lack of like,、mm. um, I don't know, just the smooth running of things. It's maybe not a fault of the doctors themselves, but it's just like built into the system for us. It's kind of my feeling, anyway. So you don't see an issue with bedside manner here in general, and it's I. I mean, it's hard to judge because if I went in as a Japanese person, I might feel、uh, not only. Would things run smoothly on both sides? But then also, my expectations would be different, probably, as a Japanese person, like expecting、right. whatever you might expect going in. So it might be just a great little system, and that we come with such different expectations, and we look different, and can't speak, and it's like something crucial falls apart, and、mm. uh, we don't get the treatment that we expect. Maybe it comes down to like the level of bedside manner that. We expect as Americans、mm-hmm. versus what they offer here as bedside manner. Yeah, and a lot of people probably don't mind it here because they're not used to like the American standard of bedside manner, which is more personable and kind of empathetic. Yeah, there's also what I tend to think creeps into these situations all the time is that Japan is a very top-down country, right?、Um, in terms of the boss. Says what's going to happen, and then everybody in the company follows suit. And if you want to really challenge the boss, sometimes there's just not even a way to do it because、right. culturally it doesn't happen. So I feel like a doctor being at the sensei level, you know, it's probably just the doctor's whole life is him always doling out the、right. advice and prescriptions and stuff, and then nobody feels like they can really challenge him or you know,、uh, actually, I don't think that's right. You know, an American would say that immediately. Right. But then、uh, in Japan, it's probably not said as often, and then you're not sharpening the blade that much、mm. because, it, like, nobody ever second guesses you. Then, right? You know, and it's I'm sure it's not nobody ever、uh, second guesses you, but it must be happening a lot less than in the yeah, U.S.、Sure. So there's probably the patients are forcing more collaboration in the U.S. just by being outspoken or、mm. something, and that kind of hones the doctors into thinking that way. All right. Well, we can stop. Or I can stop bitching about doctors for a bit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Oh, I should say for、uh, number two, actually, I didn't give any updates. We're in week twenty-one、oh, yeah. of the pregnancy, and Moe is starting to pop out more. But other than that, no real updates.、Mm-hmm. She's getting uncomfortable daily. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Classic. Yep. All right. Well, all good news then, aside from all the bad, bad news that we talked、yep. about. Let's move on to the segment. Segmenting. So, on a, a total left-hand turn from what we talked about earlier with the earthquake and the medical stuff, another thing that came up this week、um, for you more than me, but for me to some degree, is favoritism. Between the parents, I would say so. It's the the child preferring one parent or the other. Yeah, it's been ongoing now for quite a few weeks, and it I think it kind of started right around daycare,、mm-hmm. um, but it's really progressed lately to the point where I can't walk into a room or out of a room without him either wanting me or crying because I'm leaving. So you took over the favorite role. Was Moe、yes. the favorite before, or was it more of a fifty-fifty before? I think it was. I mean, it kind of felt 
he had indifference to us before that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we were just the people who supplied him with stuff. Um, but now I really get a sense like, like he's really into me right now. And I can sense that he's not like unhappy with Moe or like doesn't like her or anything. It's more like he's happy with her. He does stuff with her. But it's like when he sees me, he just wants to be attached to me. Interesting. So there's kind of a neediness a little, in yeah. there too. It's it's unhealthy for sure. Hmm. I've noticed it a bit with Nico, but I would say up until he was 13, 14 months old, he just preferred his mom. Hmm. But it was like a 60-40 kind of a split. It wasn't like he disregarded me. It was just he tended to go to the mom more. Right. Uh, and I always chalked that up to, you know, she's the one providing the milk right. and, uh, there's like the, you know, that kind of connection to the mother. Then he associates her more with comfort and, and that sort of stuff. So he would go to her a little bit more, but we still had our, our relationship. It was all good. And I think what happened in the last month, I think he's flipped and now it's like 60, 40 in my direction. Mm -hmm. And my theory is that my wife you know, like your wife works with the port system here and a lot more ships are coming into our city. Right. So that means my wife is working a lot more. Like she'll go in crazy early some days or she'll have to work like a full Saturday some days. And that means that there's a lot more one-on-one -on -one time with just me and Nico in the house. Hmm. Like I'll wake up and my wife's already gone for work or, you know, she's left the house to go to work. So getting Nico ready, getting him fed, taking him to daycare is all uh, I'll do the whole thing top to bottom. Or I think it was a weekend. It was a Saturday and a Sunday. Uh, she was gone both days, so I had them all day. And I think that kind of one-on-one -on -one time that just sort of ramped up a lot. Right. It kind of got him more used to me and maybe my way of doing something. And then he got more comfortable with it and he kind of flip-flopped. So now he comes to me more in the house. If there's like the two of us are there, uh, my wife and I, then Nico might crawl to me slightly more hmm. than... Whereas before he would crawl to her, but neither of us are concerned about it because it's just such a fine difference. It's just that he's started to prefer me just slightly, you know? Right. I think we're a little unbalanced here. I think this happens in, in a lot of households. Like one parent eventually becomes like the disciplinarian. The other one becomes like the fun one. But right now I think what's mm -hmm. happening is like Moe is doing all of the like necessary stuff that he doesn't like. Like if he's got a runny nose, she wipes it. If, you know, it's feeding time, she's feeding him. She's making sure he tries to brush his teeth. And so I don't do a lot of that because a lot of times breakfast and lunch I'm working. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's like an unbalanced discomfort, dislike. What would you call that? The daily necessities that he doesn't like. Yeah. Like the negative activities which he associates, I think, with her right now rather than me when, mm. you know, when he's with me, like we'll watch like Peppa Pig or play on the floor or I'll put Star Wars on or something. And it's a lot of like sitting, hanging out or just me carrying him around or going walks in the stroller. So I think I think that's a lot of it. One other thing that helps us balance on this end is that the grandmother is here so frequently that there's really like a, a three-person system happening. You know, she'll pick him up a few days a week from daycare. Oh, yeah. And then she'll bring him back to this house and give him a snack. And so he's – and he sees the grandfather pretty frequently too. So he's got like three or four adults in his life coming and going, doing right. things differently. And so then it's not really a I like this one or that one. It's like a kind of variety of attentions all the time. It's hard to not get jealous of you guys a lot when – because you guys have that kind of support system built in and we have like zero of that. I think if we had that, it wouldn't be so bad. But, you know, if you're just two parents without any support system, then you have to work a little bit harder to kind of mitigate that favoritism. Well, you have the grandmother coming back, right? Uh, I mean, fingers crossed. But yeah, it should be uh, August, early August, I think she's planning to come. Just got to ride out the summer. Then you'll get a new variable in the equation. Yeah, I'm hoping that'll help. But then, you know, after she comes, then Moe's going to give birth and then there's going to be another one. So there's going to be, I feel like towards the end of summer, if he hasn't fixed this favorite favoritism, 
issue, then it might mm-hmm. just compound and become worse. Because mm. he'll want more attention. Yeah. And uh, he'll be that much needier. Yeah. And then that much more kind of like begging you to, think for so. this and that or to be held or something. Yeah. Well, we found in the resources a little bit of advice here. I've got in my hands the what to expect when you're expecting the second year. So our kids are one, which is the second year, of course. So um, uh, there's a section, if you have this book, the paperback, this is starting on page 187, going on to 189, uh, maybe even up to 190. And they give a few bullet points. Uh, One thing it says in this case is... um, the advice is don't ask for it. Uh, that's basically to tell the parents that if you have the mindset of one parent is the favorite, then maybe you start to play into it, you know, kind of subconsciously. Right. Uh, like, well, he likes it when dad does this, so you just better do that, right. you know, and that sort of thing. So um, you have to kind of act against type a little bit and be sure that you're not re-emphasizing your own role too much, mm. that the kid is kind of misapplied to you. Uh, the next piece of advice is to let both parents kind of do their thing their way. So maybe the favoritism comes from sometimes like the, you know, the mom maybe prepares the breakfast the certain way and the kid likes it more. And so then when it comes time for breakfast, the kid's like begging for mom. But then you can also just stick to it and like, okay, I'm the dad. I prepare the breakfast this way. It's fine. Right. Eat it. And then after you do that for a few days, the kid will be like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, maybe get used to both right. ways. So uh, to kind of stick to your guns in the the ways that you're uh, behaving, preparing things, doing things. Uh, the next one says share the good jobs. Mm. So this is what you're talking about, like uh, putting on Peppa Pig and just chilling and that sort of stuff. If Moe could take that, right. you know, instead of you. And then if you could like, you know, try to get a handle on his dirty snotty nose or something Mm. um all that sort of thing just like divvy up the jobs more one idea next it says step to the sidelines given a choice your tot will opt for team mommy true but step off the field altogether on a regular basis go for a walk take care of some business soak in the tub run to the mall so that's basically which seems like a little bit of extra stress on the other parents but if it solves the problem in the long run that could be good but if you take yourself out of the equation temporarily uh, here and there, that might do something to get the kid used to the other parent's way. Yeah. Then uh, just a few more bullet points here. It says be patient, of course. Um, you know, there are an unlimited number of phases that kids go through, and this is probably a phase, so then patience might be the, the cure in the end. Uh, be cool, it says. Don't make a big deal out of the preference because it's probably going to just come and go, and it doesn't right. really mean anything. I think that's for the parents who get kind of hurt that they're not – the, the one that's liked more. Yeah. Then be positive. Uh, try and warm your toddler up if he's been giving you the cold shoulder. So this is more of the same from before. Try and do some of that fun stuff with the kid mm. that maybe the other parent's more in charge of usually. Uh, it says, finally, be different. Mm. So maybe come up with a new interesting, cool thing or take your kid somewhere fun that they haven't been yet, uh, like the – you know, library with the big like play area in the, in the kids' room or something. If you haven't gone yet, then maybe the one parent can take them and establish their new fun thing. I think a lot of issue with a lot of this stuff and trying to get more balance is that Moe is pregnant. So doing a lot of these yeah. things for her is difficult. I think there's there's quite a bit we can share. And I do try to do more of like the nose wiping and like diaper changing, which he starts to really hate these days but i don't know once it's all done he's still just trying to climb up me yeah so it just takes time i think and yeah keep at it probably the most pertinent advice is the the phase thing and to be patient yeah. in that um nothing that a, a child does is long lasting yeah so it'll probably be right on to moe and then it'll be inopportune in a whole new way yeah you can look forward to that yeah We'll see what happens after number two pops out and there's another like kid taking her time if he's going to start feeling jealous and try to for more than, which I hope is how it's going to turn out. Uh, yeah, that could right the ship. Yeah, for sure. 
I can't imagine the kid number two. I mean, because kid number one, it's like it's hard enough to keep the routine and, and get it all done. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the kid number two, that's it's just such a variable to throw in. Yeah. And uh, it, it's so hard to predict what will happen. We can head over to Japati Town if you're interested in such a thing. Uh, I would love to go to Japati. All right. Let's take a big seat on the Japati. Today's Japanese of the day, it's not like totally baby oriented, but it's just one of those words that I learned very early on in Japan and became useful again and again. And I'm glad that I know it. And it is the word bubun. Bubun. Any idea about bubun? B-U-B-U-N? Bubun? Mm, no idea. It, uh, it pretty simply means a component or a piece of something. Oh. It's so broadly useful because everything you buy or, you know, a lot of stuff needs repairs or something's broken, but it's just a little piece of the thing that's broken. Right. And I've used this. Uh, my whole life, especially like at the hardware store, oh. if um, just like a small something is broken of what you have, then you can ask the staff about and just specify this boo-boon. Do you, can, do you sell this? Can I get this? Can I repair this piece? Would you say it like possessively like, okay, Taino, boo-boon? Yeah, I think it's really useful if you have it in hand or if you um, oh. or if you like pick up the new thing in the package but you know you don't need to buy that whole thing, and then you can just point to the new thing and just like specify this one little p- piece of it. Do you sell like that one little piece? Oh. Uh, so I usually say like "kono bubun," like this piece, you know. Okay. Uh, I really rely on the visual aids most of the time, but yeah, I thought it was useful in terms of kids' stuff because uh, kids have toys that have so many parts and pieces and everything. And then yeah. as I'm looking for toys on Mercari, there's often like it works, but this little part's broken or something like that. So, hmm. uh, boon has been an important part of my life, meaning components or piece for a great many years now. And it turns out to be way more useful than you'd think. So use boon, everyone. It's boon. a great little vocab word. I should say, since we're in Japati, Google Translate is becoming amazing. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I use it so much now, especially like the conversation feature. Like when mm. I was at the doctor by myself, I would just push the button. The doctor would talk real time, tell me what he's saying. I talk back real time, tells, tells him what I'm saying. So there's like a little bit of a lag, but like we never misunderstood each other. That's great. Yeah. That's nearly like, it's nearly problem solved. Almost Star Trek level. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that stuff's coming along. Um, this was not exactly Google Translate, but it's could feed into it someday. But a few years ago at school, I had a student who was deaf. Hmm. And he's like, you know, in my English class, and so much of it relies on me telling the student something or doing a Q&A. I mean, it's yeah. like most of the practice is oh, talk to your partner or something like that. So then... The school approached me and said, um, there are some guys who ha- are working on a software that does speech to text in real time. Wow. So would you mind uh, wearing this lapel mic during class? And then the kid can have this laptop, which we'll bring to the room every day. And then he can see everything that you say, just like populate on the screen. And he can follow along in the class that way. And I was like, sure, man, let's give it a try. Cool. So, um, it worked, you know, it was like 75% effective, but I guess you would rather have 75% of the information than none of it. Right. So it, it was interesting to see it work. And then that's only one step away then from popping it into a Google Translate. So right. um, all this stuff is um, is pretty cool. And it's coming. It is definitely coming. I think with ChatGPT progressing the way it is, it's likely going to be very useful in this in the near future. I was doing a, uh, a review on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I just type everything in English and put my review in English usually. But like this time I was like, well, maybe I should put some Japanese because, you know, it's Amazon Japan. So I told it to translate my review into Japanese. And I specifically said to use casual Japanese. And I took that translation that it gave me and I popped it into Google Translate to see how bad it was. It was great. 
That's like almost exactly what I said. That's amazing. Uh, I didn't know chat GPT could do anything with other languages. So yeah, it can. that's crazy to hear. Well, McQuiffy time. Uh, McQuiffy, this is a thought that was rolling around in my head this week. Um, we've talked about it before, but our kids will very, very likely see the year 2100 right? 2,100. Right. Our kids will be like 78 years old right. or something like that. And in Japan right now, I mean, our, our kids are boys, but like the life expectancy for a woman in Japan right now is 89. Crazy. And I think man's in the eighties. So, um, like, uh, our, our boys would die young if they died at 77, right. you know, for the, the Japanese standard. So they'll probably see 78. They'll probably see the year 2100. And then I had the idea, like, you could write a letter to your kid and you could write on the envelope, do not open until 2100 hmm. and have your letter like zoom forward to the future 2100 and they would read it. <laughs> and then I started thinking about like, that could be a really cool thing to do actually like write something and then do not open this until 2100. Then your old man, son, baby <laughs> opens it and, uh, and gets to read it. And as I thought through it, I was like, what in Satan's glorious hell could you actually write yeah. in that letter? Like, I couldn't come up with a single thing because, like, right now, imagine writing to a 78-year-old person. They've got the life experience and the wisdom that we don't have. I'm still in my 30s, mind you, just barely. I have to say that <laughs> while the getting's good. But there's nothing I would dare write to a 78-year-old as like, here's what I've learned in my four decades of life. Right. So then, like, wisdom's kind of out the window. Right. And if you have any, like, big important things you want to tell your kid, you're probably just going to tell your kid those big important things. What if you want to be dead before they know that? Yeah, yeah. Then it comes down to like some deep dark secret. Right. And then do you, do you want to write a deep dark secret in a letter and just have it hanging around the house all the time? It's terrifying. <laughs> so I couldn't come up with a single thing to write in the 2100 letter. And this mm. is maybe like a thought experiment for the listener. But can you think of anything that right now you would want to tell your kid when he's an old man? And remember, it's a one way street. So like you can't be like how's the future it doesn't matter you'll never hear the answer right so what what do you think could go in such a letter we we briefly discussed this before and the only thing i could think of was see you soon <laughs> so just so dark what i love about that is say you write the letter now and then you like frame it up on the wall somewhere so this kid grows up and his oldest memory is seeing this letter on the wall. I really wonder what my dad wrote. <laughs> See you soon. <laughs> Twists his mustache and rubs his hands together. Uh, it's, um, yeah, that's hilarious and dark. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's better than anything I've thought of writing to my future old man baby. I don't think you could write anything like advice or, you know, questioning. I think the only thing you could say is, you know, basically where you're at in your life at this point and where you hope that they are at that point in their life. Like if yeah. you're in the letter, you could say like, here we are. And my hope for you is that you've achieved these things by this point. And mm -hmm. if you've done this, I'm really happy for you. And if you haven't, then that's fine. I'm sure you still had a successful, happy life, but blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's the only thing that you could really say in that letter. Yeah. It just crossed my mind to put the shoe on the other foot and imagine you received such a letter. I mean, I guess to make it work, it would have to be like from your grandparent or something. And then it would be, if you received that now, like it would kind of be interesting as a little time capsule of what their life was at that time. Yeah. But, you know, whatever they had to tell you wisdom wise, you'd probably just brush it off. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that's some old sexist bullshit that yeah. my grandfather had to say. Like, uh, remember, keep your wife under your thumb. <laughs> <Something> like <laughs> that, like from the old days. Just in terms of like what the person's doing, maybe that could be it. Like mm. what your, I don't know, what your mindset is, what you're thinking about doing. Yeah. Uh, with your future, I don't know, something, something like, that. like that. But just to give a little window into your life, like uh, what it's like at that moment. Little slice of life. That's the right. only thing it could be. 
but also you don't want to have that letter out there as a known entity for decades and then have it be a letdown. So there's quite a lot of pressure on that letter being good. Isn't there like the service, like the lawyers or something who can say like, deliver this letter on this date at this time. Oh yeah. You have this like third party come in and scare the kid to death. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like in back to the future. Exactly. That happens. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That would probably be the best way. You don't want it around the house, like framed, like all this anticipation built up. Right. Like do not open until 21. And you're thinking about it for 50 years or more. So, um, yeah, that's that's the best way. Hmm. Maybe. Give it to your lawyer. Give it to your lawyer. I'll have my people talk to Nico's people. That's how we'll do this. It was interesting. Last year, I forget when, October maybe, we were getting all the concrete done in the driveway, and I decided mm-hmm. to do a time capsule. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so somewhere underneath all of our concrete is a little tin with... I think some pictures, some stuff that we had, and then like a little letter that we wrote. So that's cool. If that ever gets dug up and found. Yeah. Yeah. We might do that for number two as well. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Oh, so it was like Coda centric. The time capsule was. It was, yeah, just about like the time, like us as a family and what we're doing here. That's awesome. And then did you discuss it with the guys who came over to pour the concrete? Like, hey, I want to drop this tin under there or did you do it secretly? I just did it secretly. They had no idea. What a big reveal here. Big secret. Yeah. Well, we have a bit of time for some dad jokes. Let's get to it. Here we go. I have two of them. Okay, I've got three. All right, then kick it off, buddy. All right. Have you ever seen a catfish? Um, yes. Of course you haven't. How could they hold the poles? <laughs> I get it. I get it. Okay. A snail was trying to be faster, so he removed his shell, Hmm. you know, streamlined the operation. The whole plan actually backfired, though, because it uh, just made him more sluggish. Oh. This one's right in your wheelhouse. Good. I'm just kidding. It's not at all. What did Yoda say when he saw himself on Blu-ray? Uh... Oh, what did Yoda say when he saw himself on Blu-ray? I don't know. What did he say? HDMI. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. I had a happy childhood. My dad used to put me in tires and then roll me down hills. <laughs> Those were good years. <laughs> nice. All right. What did Captain Kirk see in the toilet bowl? Uh, Captain's log, baby. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nailed it. Exactly. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at thejpops.com. Talk to you next time. Log time.